HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program was brought to you by the Academy Opus Caseus, whose training programs bring cheese professionals to the next level. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live from the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze, your host. <clears throat> I'm here in the studio with Rachel Perez after an amazing week spent in Providence at the American Cheese Society Conference. Thanks for coming on the show, Rachel. Thanks, Greg. It's good to be here. So a little later in the episode, Rachel and I will give a short ACS recap and talk about judging. This was my first ACS judging in about 10 or 15 years, and I learned a lot from the experience. Tasted a large amount of cheese. But right now, I'm very happy to have Inga Witcher on the line. Thanks so much for coming on, Inga. Hey, Craig. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope you can hear me okay. I'm in the middle of Amish country. Nice. In the driftless part of Wisconsin. We are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I am in the, you know, the urban death maze of Brooklyn and New York City here. <laughs> um, we met a lot of fellow Wisconsin folk this week. So uh, go, Wisconsin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Inga, she's a fourth-generation farmer. Her farm is uh, St. Isidorus Mead. Is that a correct pronunciation? That's correct. In, in Oseo, Wisconsin. And she also stars in Around the Farm Table, which is a show dedicated to connecting consumers to small, thoughtful producers through storytelling, forgotten recipes, and entertainment. And you can visit AroundTheFarmTable.com for an episode guide. And your show is also available on YouTube, Correct. Uh, it's actually available at wisconsinpublictelevision.org. It's another great place to watch it. YouTube is not the greatest place. Well, go where she tells you to go to watch it, not where I'm telling you to go. So I would love it if you could just tell us a little bit about your history because it's super interesting and your family's history as um, you know, as a farmer. And in particular, I was hoping you could tell me about the organic golf course your dad started in Washington State because I thought that was a pretty cool story. Absolutely, Greg. So I grew up on a wonderful dairy farm in western Washington. My parents had about 80 Holstein dairy cows and they did rotational grazing on about 150 acres. And I got to grow up in the milking parlor or on the tractor with my grandfather and my uncle, and I just thought it was fantastic. 
and I never, ever wanted to be a dairy farmer after growing up on a dairy farm, but here I am dairy farming now. Of course. But back in the 90s, uh, the, the sprawl was kind of pushing out the dairy farms in our county, in Snohomish County, Washington State. So a lot of them picked up and moved to Wisconsin. And instead of moving to Wisconsin, my father sold the cows, and he had this brilliant idea of starting to mow the, the pastures into fairways and constructing greens out in the meadows and having a golf course. That's pretty awesome. And yeah, it was great, except for none of our family members had ever golfed a day in their life. So it was kind <laughs> of it was a double challenge with doing that. But we had this old uh, manure pit that we would put, you know, from the cows. We'd have the manure go in the pit. Yeah. And then after the cows left, it became a uh, water hazard. Of course, and or sand would, trap. Yeah, so we try to let people know they probably shouldn't go in there to retrieve any of their balls. Yeah. It's not worth it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, yes. How many, is this like an 18-hole golf course that you guys got there? It was a nine-hole golf course, okay. and it was pretty mellow. It was, you know, it's a pretty mellow place. We had people coming out from Seattle in, uh, that were professionals, and then we had farmers from up the road coming in their bib overalls and their barn boots to play golf, and it was, we had an honor system because we all had to be out working and mowing the tees or mowing the fairways and getting things done, so we just had, like, a little wooden box in our old machine shed, and people would put $10 in, and then they could golf as long as they wanted to. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I, um, you know, I'm, my first job ever was, uh, was a greenskeeper of a golf course, and uh, I used to love to, to play, but, I'm, you know, I, I'm poor, so, you know, I can't afford <laughs> greens fees. Um, and uh, I got fired from that job for, um, you know, I think I was drag racing the golf carts, and I think I crashed <laughs> one into a tree. And uh, that was the end of my uh, greenskeeping, you know, my little greenskeeping job. But I love yeah, golf. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll sure do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I also read that um, – sustainability is a really important concept to what you do you know and that term is kind of thrown around a lot but i was wondering if you could tell me or tell us what sustainability means to you and you know and about some of the challenges of creating a sustainable venture are you talking like business-wise or like on the land on the land and business-wise. Because okay, I'm not sure that I've ever had a sustainable business. But we're not talking about that. But so one thing that's important to me, I, I grew up, you know, with uh, parents that kind of had that mindset of let's leave nature better than we found it. So let's graze cows because we know that cows are beneficial to the land. Let's let the cows do the work. Let's uh, protect our waterways. Let's encourage wildlife onto our farm. So what I've been able to do on my small 30-acre piece of land, and I'm kind of in corn country uh, where my farm's located, so I've been trying to build habitat for those pollinators and uh, grazing cows for the grassland birds and watching the land really come back alive because I, I want to continue to live there. I want to continue to make my, my income from my farm, and I know that if I improve it, if I, if I do things the way that nature intended, that there's a good chance that I'll be able to do, do that long term. So one thing that's in, extremely important to me is grazing the cows. So I do a 12-hour rotation uh, on the pastures. So I have a, a strip graze 12, you know, for 12 hours and change the pasture uh -huh. in the evening for another 12 hours. And I just have really seen the benefits to the land. When I first moved onto my farm, it had been in CRP for 20 years. And okay. the, the soil was really, there was no fertility into it, and there was just, it just been barren. And just by having those animals on the, on the farm, eating those grasses, 
digging their hooves into the ground and you know, spreading their manure. Oh, they, the farm has just become alive. Yeah, well, you got to get some poop in that grass, you know what I mean, that make that stuff grow, you know what I mean? There's uh, fertilizer is good to have out there, I would imagine. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's really it's amazing stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I realize more and more that – and. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm tired. The ACS uh, was amazing, but draining on me. Uh, the world is is, and I don't want to be too too morbid, but the the world doesn't so, seem to me to be supporting that idea. It seems like we're you know we're scorching we're scorching the earth you know more than we are doing what you you know what you're doing, which is to leave it better than where you found it. You know. Yeah. I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of different farmers here in Wisconsin and talk to my neighbors. We're all farming. I have a huge farming community here. And it's been so exciting to hear from these other folks how they're trying to improve their farms. Even uh, the folks that are conventional farmers, they're saying, well, perhaps we should start doing no-till or putting in cover crops. or, Or how can we benefit our land more? Because I think that as our community of farmers, we're realizing more and more how important the soil is. How really everything comes from the soil. And, and you know, and, and I, when we're talking about sustainability, you know, I had a great uh, guest, and I've had her on uh, a couple times, um, Lisa Hall. Um, I met her. She works for Saxon, uh, makes some great, some great cheese. And one of the things that she told me in a, in a past interview was that, you know, there's there's the paper, um, you know, that that all the farmers get. And, um, you know, in the sort of the anti-classifieds, uh, the, the number of farms um, that are up for sale, you know, because people cannot maintain them, used to be very little. And now that is exponentially increased. So, I mean, do you feel like that you're going to be able – do you feel sometimes like you're fighting not a losing battle, but do you, th- do you think that farming is sustainable? Do you think that you're going to be able to get it done like that? You and your group of, uh, you know, your group of freedom fighters out there. I think that it's right now is a wonderful opportunity for farmers that are my size or bigger or smaller to start thinking about diversifying or, or how. Let's get pretty creative now because I know that I'm never going to grow five thousand acres of corn. Um, so I've been at work on my small farm. Where okay, so how do I how do I bring in the income to make my because for me I don't have any other choice. When I started dairy farming, I fell in love with dairy farming, and I know for me and a, and a lot of my friends who are farming, there we will fight tooth and nail to stay on our farms because if we don't, well, I mean we might as we might as well pull our soul out of our bodies and yeah. just, uh, we I, drift off. So, I, I agree with so you I, there. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's always tough, but I think that what, if you can say. Like, every morning I get up and get, get out of bed, walk outside, and it's like, boy, you know, I might not have enough money to go on vacation for the next 10 years, but this is amazing. This is, you know, I get to wake up in quiet and see the butterflies and, and milk my cows and do this stuff. So it, it's, it's, you know, it's tough, but as if you can be optimistic, and I think if you're farming, you had better be optimistic. And if you can be optimistic about it and say, well, what should I do? Should I have an on-farm pizza night uh, to generate more income? Should I start uh, selling um, pasture poultry? Should I uh, open a and b um, Or should I turn my milk into cheese uh, and add value through that? Um, well, that so I think, 
And I, I see it a lot. I see a lot of that happening with the, the medium to small scale farmers here in Wisconsin. Well, that leads me right into my next uh, my next question. You know, how important is cheese to what you do as a farmer? It's. I'm hoping that it's going to be more important as I work forward. Right now, I had to downsize my herd of uh, jerseys because I'm doing this television series and it's uh, been gone a lot and, and things like that. So, uh, so. But for me, right now, I'm still making a living shipping milk. Uh, my father is a licensed cheesemaker, so I. He makes cheese during the spring and early summer with my milk, but we only make six batches of cheese. So we're only selling, you know, 600 pounds of cheese a year. But I can make so much more money selling cheese than I can selling milk. So my hope is that I can keep my head above water and continue to make small batches of cheese, start getting a market for that cheese, which I've been developing a market for it, and then hopefully turn all my milk over into cheese one day because that will take me... Uh, a lot farther in my income than just shipping milk. So it's it's something that I think about constantly, and I think about how can I turn all my milk into cheese so that I can buy a piece of equipment next year or, you know, do these things that I need to do. Um, and and the thing about Wisconsin, too, which is, and, and I don't get on the state a whole lot, so it's probably happening all over the, the nation, but we're able to kind of piggyback with other cheesemakers. So for me to put a creamery on my farm, I can't financially do it right now and cash flow everything while I'm building my cheese business. So what I do is I have a neighbor who makes cheese. They come pick up my milk when I want to make cheese, bring it over to their creamery when they're not making, and then they let us use their facility. They let us use their caves to age their che- our cheese in, and they encourage it. They say, you know, we, we need more small che- farm cheesemakers. That's um, amazing. Here in the state and all over. Yeah, and I'm actually going to go meet with these ladies tomorrow. They, they're doing the same thing. So instead of saying, I've got to take on all this overhead before I can sell my first piece of cheese, and boy, I'm going to be you know in debt forever, people here are saying, hey, let's, let's share each other's, uh, let's encourage each other, let's share the load. It's my experience that, that everywhere I go, uh, cheese people are like that, you know? Um, we band together, whether it's retailers or cheesemakers, you know, people, and that's one of my favorite things about the work that I do and that we do is that there is a really uh, a genuine willingness amongst people to help each other out. And I think, and I, you know, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this. I think it's because uh, what we do, uh, we have such a fragile hold on it. You know, there's a, it's so. It could be so easily taken away from us um, due to you know a lot of the just the things you've been talking about, and I think it's really cool that we band together like that. You know, I, yeah, and I think also it's it, we're so intimately involved in that process of, of cheese making and farming, and so so we understand each other. It's like, oh boy, you know, I know how passionate you are because I know how much work it takes yeah. to make that wheel of cheese. So I will. I, I appreciate that. I respect that, and I want to help you out and encourage you. And and then uh, let me ask you a question about that or something. And, and I think it's it's this wonderful community. And boy, I think if more people were like the cheesemakers and the farmers, we would have a really wonderful place to be living. It's just, Hell yeah! It's, Hard I, work. I think it's just that emotional connection because you know when you're working 14 hours a day and you just want to sit down and cry and you can't. Uh, so when you see someone else struggling, it's you you are compelled to just go help them and, and relieve that stress. I absolutely agree with you, man. If you're in the trenches with people like that, you know, you bond together. And, and tough, like hard work 
when you're shoulder to shoulder with people, um, it, it bonds you together. You know what I mean? And I and and I love that. Um, I love that about about the cheese community. Um, you know, in general, um, we were just uh, you know at the ACS. Um, we were judging. You know, and I'm. Uh, I want to ask you another question. First of all, I, I want to know what kind of cheese you make. <laughs> um, but um, you know, and I noticed that just with with uh, with judging. You know, we went through just an enormous amount of cheese. Um, and, you know, at the end of that, you know, we were all like, let's go to the bar and get a drink. You know what I mean? Because everybody was sort of like, that was a serious undertaking, you know? And, like, that just kind of stuff bonds you together. But um, so I totally get that. And, um, and you know, this is, this is you know, my, my, I am not a farmer, but um, – but I feel like I understand what you mean. Um, so with your little batches of cheese, um, um, because I also want to ask you um, about your television show, but what kind of cheese do you make? So we make a raw milk cave-aged cloth-bound cheddar. Really? And we, Yes, we make about 20-pound truckles, and we start selling at about eight months. They're, they're aged about eight months when we start selling. Um, so, and, it's, and it's really fun because we have to – so I milk jerseys, and – we write down the name of the pasture on each wheel of cheese. We That's write beautiful. down the name of the cows. We write down the, the weather that day um, because we really want people to have that intimate feeling, like they're really they're sitting right there in the pasture eating that piece of cheese with that information. Uh, I love that. Just, and, like, the, it's the color of it is just really fun and just golden. It's just great. Yeah, the, the, there's a cheesemaker in Vermont, uh, David Major, and um, he makes, uh, you know, there's a cheese called Vermont Shepherds, or now it's called Verano, or when it used to be called Vermont Shepherds back in the olden times uh, when I used to buy it. And uh, one of my favorite things about getting those wheels of cheese is they had a little hand-drawn picture of a sheep on it, and it would be like, today was in the mid-70s, and there was a lot of clover, you know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. what they were grazing on. And I, I, lo- I love that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Because you know, like you said, I think just, it's a, yeah, I think it's great, but I think it's also wonderful for people to be able to see that. Yeah. And then because it immediately takes them back to that farm and saying, oh, okay, I'm connecting back to that farm now because I have that idea of what the, the animals were eating or something. And I think that's important for people to know. It is. And, um, so, you know, and then that's a that's a good way for, you know, me to get you to tell me a little bit more about uh, your television show about Around the Farm Table. Um, now, you're in your third season, right? We're in our third season. We're going to start airing again in October, and we are shooting today and tomorrow and uh, on the road. And so anyway, so Around the Farm Table, it's a food and farming adventure. So we wanted to tell the story about food and farming from the perspective of uh, you know, for like I'm a farmer, so I so I host it, and so we go out throughout Wisconsin, and we find interesting farms, and most of them happen to be certified organic or sustainable, because that's really where where my interest lies, and sure. so those are the farms that I'm attracted to. So we go onto the farm, we talk to them about what they're doing, how they're doing it, what matters to them. We try to get the have people feel like they're right there with us and feel those emotions of what's happening on the farm so people can get a better idea. Because even in a state like Wisconsin, where agriculture rules here, people still don't realize where their food's coming from, or they don't realize that they can go down to a farm down the road and buy a half a hog. And they can talk to that farmer, and they can know what that animal's eating, and they can see how that animal's being raised. Uh, it's, I feel like it's so important. And totally. it's also important to be able to showcase these farms because being a small farmer, if, unless you're standing out there, you know, 
preaching about what you're doing and getting people to understand why it costs a little bit more money. And, and people are not compelled to buy your product. So by having this show, we're hoping that people can kind of connect with the farmers more and, uh, and get excited about uh, harvesting food seasonally or um, buying from the farmer's market or going directly to the farm to buy it. So it's been a really fun challenge. We do the same thing as, as, uh, as cheesemongers. You know, you, you really have to... That's why I always encourage her in, in mongers or people that work that work under me or work with to go and, and visit the producers because you have to really work hard to get people to understand why cheese is twenty thirty dollars a pound you know when they can go buy these big hunks of awful goo you know for <laughs> like a fuck for a tenth of the price of that you know what I mean um, yes and it's beautiful that you get to do that um, that you get to do that visually um, you know when I was reading about your show one of the fun things I read is that um, kids really really get into your show right they and um i heard that some of them even dress up like you for halloween which they is do. pretty awesome they do they do. it's it's so cute it's like the cutest thing ever because i always wear like a straw hat and uh-huh. and i love wearing boots and things and so uh i see like more and more like little girls like they're like oh we're dressed up like inga and they that's awesome to something. and it's just like oh my gosh like i'm just dying because you guys are so adorable uh, but it's really fun. The other day I was at the farm store. We have this little store in my town where you can get, you know, pretty much everything that you need sure. from to dip to, to groceries. And this little girl was like, she looks up at me and she's like, oh, my God, you're the lady from the TV. Yeah. <laughs> I show. I'm like, that is so great. Like, it made me feel so good. But it's funny because the, the kids take a different, uh, they, they get different things from the show than their parents do. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I remember when you were petting that pig. And boy, I might get a pig now. And they just light up. And it's, it's, it's really fun to see farms uh, through the, the eyes of children because they see things completely different than adults do. And food. They see food. You know, it reminds me, I was just like, I was like, just browsing through the through the dial uh, yesterday, and I came across uh, um, Jamie Oliver um, in um, going into uh, cafeterias, like uh, school cafeterias, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he was in this one cafeteria where they didn't give anybody, they didn't give kids utensils. Um, and he was talking to these people, and they were like, "So, what do you give these kids to eat with?" And they're like, um, "A spoon, and that's it." And they eat with their hands. And he was trying to teach them how to, you know, use like knives and forks and things. And um, you know, kids love like they're like you said, a kid's experience with everything to do with food is totally different. And uh, you know, you can either become very afraid of your food at a very young age, or if they have someone awesome like you that they want to dress up like, you know, for Halloween, they're like immediately connected. So I think that's yeah. really rad that you do that for them. Thank you. You know, one thing that I think is interesting about kids, I have four nephews, and my brother says, oh, you know, they're picky eaters. They don't like to eat anything. But if they're at my house and we harvest something out of the garden and we go in and we prepare it together, it's, you know, they're eating beets and carrots and Swiss chard and kale That's and awesome. loving it. But I think that people need to connect with the food. And children are wonderful at that because unless, if you're giving them the opportunity to participate, in that food system and growing uh, the the lettuce or going to the creamery and watching the cheese be made or making homemade ice cream or seeing how a cow is milked, seeing how a chicken lays eggs, they think that it's just so wonderful and they want to, then they want to eat it. They want to see what it's that taste like. What does that taste like? And yeah, it's just, well, it's kids love to play. 
You know what I mean? Kids love to play and they love to explore. And we haven't ruined them yet. You know what I mean? With, <laughs> with things. Not yet. You know what I mean? Like with things, well, you know, with the things that we have to deal with that adults that keep, you know, as adults, that keep us from like being able to play or unless you're infantile like me, I, you know, keep as much of my time free to play as I possibly can. But, uh, you know, that's pretty awesome. I think that, that that's great. And, um, I would encourage, you know, anybody that's listening today to uh, check out to check out your show. Again, it's called Around the Farm Table. And if you could remind me again, where where should they watch it? Not on YouTube, but on... Not on uh, YouTube. You can go to wisconsinpublictelevision.org, and then you can just uh, search Around the Farm Table. And there's an episode, it's called the Pasture Walk episode, and on that episode, my dad and I make cheese. We can see exactly how we make our cheese. That's fantastic. And uh, now that I know you, I'm going to be hitting you up for some cheese. You can bet your bottom dollar on that one. I'm going to be coming after you. Um, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today and giving us a little bit of your time. Um, We're going to take a short break. um, And after the break, Rachel Perez and I will give us a brief recap of ACS Cheese Camp 2015. Stay tuned. Take care, Inga. Academy Opus Caseus is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course. The Academy's core courses for mongers and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, and abridged courses are offered in Vermont, California, and London. A structured discipline of sensory analysis is practiced daily. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as an approved education center for those preparing for the Certified Cheese Professional Exam. Here's a reading of a quote from Kevin Palmaccio, a graduate of the program. The balance of time is what sets essential foundations apart from other educational opportunities. While the classroom is important, spending time at the goat farm and working alongside the Mons staff immersed us in real work and taught me real skills I've already applied in my career. As a relative newcomer to the cheese business, daily concentration on sensory analysis was paramount. As a cheesemonger, I'm now in a better position to familiarize myself with a wide range of products and sell with more confidence. For more information and to apply for courses, visit their website at academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. 
This is still your host, Greg Blaze, and um, we're still live on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, I want to uh, talk to uh, my esteemed guest in here today, Rachel Perez. Um, again, Rachel, thanks for coming and giving us your time. I know we are all exhausted a little bit mentally. A little bit, yeah. A little bit physically and mentally. Um, so, um, you know, this year's conference was, you know, it was called Cheese Camp 2015, held in Providence, which was really cool. Um, I'm a New Englander. I haven't been in Providence in a while. And I had a good time there. Um, you know, got to judge this year for the first time in a long time. And Rachel, you are uh, one of the mavens of, uh, of the judging process. And um, you know, so um, if you can give me a little bit of perspective on uh, what you know, what really stood out to you in the conference this year? I had a great time, and I have some great, I have some opinions on um, you know, and observations. I hadn't, I hadn't judged in a long time, so I was really in the thick of what was going on. But um, you know, you know, what were the highlights of the conference for you? So um, I've worked with the judging competition committee with the American Cheese Society for four years now. I started off doing inventory in the trucks when we received cheese. And, you know, we've gone from maybe 200 cheeses up to this year. I think it was seven, 1,786, but it might have been 1,736. Yeah. But, you know, just under 2,000 cheeses. Uh, we had 19 teams of judges over three days judge all these cheeses. And then we did a final round of best in show judging. Um, So I was trying to figure out, I think I probably tasted, just during judging, close to 200 different types of cheese. Yeah, I was right there alongside you. Um, Man, I tasted, (laughs) I got a, there's so massive amount of categories right now. You know, we're going to do a show um, on judging in the future. We're going to give you a sneak peek, so we we won't go in. I'll probably bring you back for that one, too, but there was a there was a lot. I mean, flavored cheese had a massive amount of cheese in there, man. There was a lot of cheese. I had a open, open category cow's milk flavored cheese, and, you know, we had cheeses that ranged from Gouda's to beef jerky string cheese. Yeah, so. the beef jerky string cheese. I, With and without jalapeno. Yeah, oh man. I had I had some mango uh, habanero cheddar, oh, nice. which was How's very that? interesting. I mean, it was just hot, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, cheese is cheese, but I think that I had to go into the, to the lunchroom and like drink the half and half after that that we were using <laughs> for our coffee because that like blew my brains out a little bit. Um, but it was a lot of cheese and a lot of fun. You know what, you know what I, I realized or what I noticed um, about the conference this year is that there's a lot of you gals. There's, the conference had a strong female presence this year, which I thought was pretty cool. You right? know, that's something that um, has really sort of evolved and has been really important for me over the last few years. You know, we have a, a woman president of the American Cheese Society. Yeah. Uh, Peggy Smith from, uh, from Cowgirl Creamery is president. Um, our... What was it? Our Lifetime Achievement Award this year went to Kathy Strange, yeah. who is the global cheese buyer for Whole Foods. Um, I went out to lunch a couple days with a group of women, and we had a newbie to the American Cheese Society who came with us who was, you know, 21, 22, probably her first or second cheesemonger job. And she had remarked that it was absolutely incredible the community of women in cheese um, that has really kind of come along and in American cheese that's. It's great. I I gotta say, in terms of that lifetime achievement award, I listened to uh, Kathy Strange's speech, and uh, you know, um, I was really moved by her speech. Uh, you know, she talked about her family and their military history and how much they affected. And I I just said, I just thought that was that was great. You know what I mean? And and 
you know, someone with a, that kind of scope, you know, and reach. Well, and the way that Whole Foods has affected the cheese business for the better, you know. I mean, we're reaching consumers that we probably never would have reached had uh, Whole Foods not gone into certain areas of the country, had not supported certain cheesemakers also. Um, I think Absolutely. she's a fabulous woman. I worked for Whole Foods for about six years myself. I learned a ton while I was there. Um, and, you know, hats off to Kathy. Absolutely. Congrats. You know, and, um, you know, we had another uh, Daphne Zeppos uh, teaching, you know, award scholarship winner, um, Tom. And um, and uh, we want to say a quick congrats to him. And he's coming on next week. So we're going to make him come in here and, uh, you know, we're going to grill him on what he wants nice. to do. You know, it'll be <laughs> fun. Um, uh, Emily Sharton came back and uh, we're going to have her on, too, uh, to talk about what she what she did that that I always love. Um, you know, Daphne is a real, real good friend of mine, and uh, I was able to talk to Mo, who is the, you know, um, well, I, and Rachel. I, I mean, Rachel is the gal. I mean, More I was, women in cheese. You yeah, know? it's a man. recurring theme. <laughs> you gals are everywhere. <laughs> you gals are everywhere. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, just uh, the fact that that's um, that's in its third, you know, its third. Well, and uh, that there's a scholarship that exists to help people develop avenues within cheese, I think, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and that's perpetuating itself. It was it was really great. Um, I thought that I thought you know the best uh, the best of show was a was a little bit of a of a coup this year. I think for me, um, I actually uh, I loved the best of show, um, but um, you know. It just um, and well, it was Canadian. I think that's the first yeah, time we've ever had a Canadian that's winner. Yeah, and there was Canadian cheese all over that award ceremony. Yeah, I the, they know what they're doing up in Canada. Yes, they do. And uh, what's um, frustrating about that, and I was speaking with um, with uh, David G about that, is the you know I can buy cheese from uh, you know two oceans away in an easier fashion than it is to get that stuff in here, which I don't understand, you know, but that's uh, probably because I'm not very smart, you know. (laughs) Well, I don't think that the logistics behind Canadian cheese in terms of importing to the States is quite set up the same way it has been historically from Europe. And I work with European producers. I work for French producers. So I know that that's a pretty fluid sort of system that's been set up for probably about 100 years now. Um, and, you know, I think I think we're all hoping to get a little more Canadian cheese into the country because um, they want great stuff. Yeah, they won a lot of awards. And, um, uh, yeah, Rachel, you work for everybody, man. I mean, you yeah. know, everybody knows <laughs> you. You're quite a famous lady. Um, I am, um, you know, and we had the um, the FDA came back down to see us uh, again. Yeah, you know, you know I, th- I think it's great. This is the second year that they've come. And, um, you know, I think that given the evolution of artisanal cheese, of um, the Food Safety Modernization Act, and just the way food is trending right now, it's important that the FDA comes out and reaches out to the cheese community so that we can work on policy that makes sense together and also policy that is predictable and sustainable for artisanal cheese producers. What did you think about, you know, about that, though? I mean, what did you think about the interview with the FDA at the luncheon? You know, the it is a government branch. Um, I. I, I personally, yeah, it is. I, I, I work for. It is. Um, it is. Food Drug Administration is part of the government. Yeah. I work for a goat cheese producer who got stopped because of ash. Um, he right. got stopped in April, and that was a question that came up several times, both with the FDA and in other sessions. 
And what the um, FDA agent told us was that we need to petition to have ash be a new ingredient and basically sent us to a form to fill out. Right. I was talking with someone like, um, and ashes are not new at all. That's what uh, Ricky Carroll said. Ricky was like, ash is not new. I mean, that's like the oldest defense against back bugs and bad bacteria. You know what I mean? Yeah. Forever. I mean, charcoal... Not only a cheese making, is, that, that's what it's used for. Well, in- from what I understand with the FDA is, you know, they're looking for scientific evidence. And what I have sort of deciphered so far is that none of the producers of ash have done any studies to prove that ash is safe. And so the way the FDA looks at it is because ash is not safe, it is inherently unsafe. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> um, at all. But, but that basically it is up to the ash producers to... Um, to do studies to prove that ash is safe, that it's not a carcinogen. And so they've done that. Actually, I was in a session um, with uh, Kathy Donnelly, who said that they were doing that with E. coli and that there is um, a group of European cheesemakers and research scientists that have proved that the E. coli counts that the FDA is deeming as acceptable now is basically complete nonsense. That in Europe, they don't even test for E. coli counts because it doesn't mean anything in cheese... And I was having a, I was having a discussion about just that word. That word is like the boogeyman. You know what I mean? When what, people, FDA, no, Nicole? both of those <laughs> words sort of are the boogeyman. But people hear that and they're like, "I'm going to die." Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Not knowing that, like, that's just part of life. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just part of living things. You know. Um, and you know, I think that's a trend um, in part with cheese and definitely with food in general that people want to put labels on everything. Absolutely. Um, you know, things like now GMO is becoming a big deal. And I was I was sort of surprised that um, at the conference there was not more talk this year about GMO and how cheesemakers can deal with labeling their product as GMO or non-GMO. Um, you know, things like uh, like rennet, that microbial rennet is genetically engineered and how genetically engineered microbial rennet falls into genetically modified if it does if it doesn't if you have to label it how all that sort of comes into play and that's what's great about i think the seminars and i I took a long break from going to the acs but in the few conferences the seminars are evolving the community um i think there there was definitely a a scientific approach this year that i haven't seen in a few years um that i think a lot of people, and not just cheesemakers, but cheesemongers, were very interested in this class that I was in with um, Kathy Donnelly. You know, I think the majority of the people who were in there were cheesemongers who were legitimately interested about it. And I think that's great because I think it's up to the cheesemongers to really communicate everything that's going on to the general public. Yeah, you're the frontliners. I mean, if you're a cheesemonger behind a counter and, you know, someone is asking you why you don't have Sanicter because it has too high E. coli counts, I mean, your customer is there's going to be a big red flag that's going to go off. Yeah, they're going to be like, E. coli? I'm yeah. never shopping here again. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, the conference has sort of started to retool its vision in order to create a, a voice for cheesemongers and so that cheesemongers can sort of pass on all that information to consumers as legislation sort of, you know, falls into place. I mean, I, I, I was in the, the, the first of the, of the wooden boards uh, seminar, and, uh, and I really learned a, I learned a goodly amount about, uh, about PDO, and I was having a really good discussion with, uh, with Emily Acosta, the producer, yeah. um, and about, about, you know, and uh, both of us had just assumed, I always just assumed that a lot of these PDO 
were yeah, required things to be to be put on you know on boards, but apparently that's not that's not the case. It's just sort of implied that they that they would be. Aged. Oh, really? I was not in that session. So. Yeah, and so it's like tip, typical. Well, it's like common sense that they would be. Well, I think a lot of the PDOs are sort of a definition of their environmental factors. Absolutely. And so wood was probably more readily available Cheaper. than plastic. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of plastic, although we're going to have a plastic – we're going to do an entire show about saran wrap coming up soon. Oh, so, wow. um, you know, the the evils of um, petroleum products, I'm always uh, wondering about things like why people need to wear gloves and the like. But, um, yeah, there was some great informational sem- – there were some great seminars, and I'm not a seminar guy. Um, I fell asleep in – Probably sixty percent of my classes in in uh, high school when I went. Um, good thing in college I had very small classes, but there was some great stuff, just some great knowledge going around. Well, in I general. think that's great. Is you know even beyond the seminars, you know, out at the bar or you know in the elevator the that you learn exactly. Yes. You learn a ton at the bar or in the elevator on your on your way up to your room. You learn yeah. a ton. Um, you know, I met a bunch of people that I had never met before who had really insightful things to say. Um, and, you know, I think the more people we get involved, too, in uh, the American Cheese Society, the bigger sense of community we have and the more we can all sort of help each other with a greater good of selling safe and delicious cheese. Absolutely. I got real positive vibes from the whole from the whole thing, you know. Um, they put me to work. I was happy. I judged in the beginning, and then I helped set up for the festival. Um, at the end, it was a two-day affair, uh, working with Deborah Dickerson, and that was hard work and super rewarding. Um, a lot of volunteers and a lot of just good people coming in. It's cool to work with people who were like doctors or, you know, like they had nothing well, to do. Well, it's great. Cheese enthusiasts are yeah. great. You know, it wasn't all just cheese professional professionals. You have yeah. people who just love cheese who heard that there was going to be 1,800 cheeses yep. and wanted to see what that was all about. And it was fun to boss them around, too. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's always fun to boss people around. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them what to do. Well, um, you know, um, we're going to probably try. We really would, you know, we're going to try to grab the, the best in show, uh, the best in show winner. I want to talk to her because the Celtic Blue was an amazing cheese. That was really amazing. That was, was a, buttery was... and rich and wonderful. Well, and you know, I thought the the winners were interesting, and that was sort of how I went into the best in show judging. Was that I was trying to sort of pick three cheeses from three different categories to kind of get a good scope sure. of what American cheese is all about. And I was really happy that that was kind of how it ended up, where we had a blue cheese that won first place, and then an alpine style that won second place, and then a, would you call that a blueberry rind? Harbison won third place, so kind of... That's just a, I mean, you know, it is... American, well, not really American original. No, but it's Harbison's such a unique cheese in and of itself, you yeah. know what I mean? And they've done... Um, all stuff that comes out of the cellars, and I, t- I was able to talk. That's the best one of the best things I liked about the conference. Like I was able to talk to, um, you know, to Adam Smith, you know, yeah. and uh, to Matteo and to Andy for a second, you know, just about like, you know, and I buy a lot of cheese from them as a, as you know anybody who's you know who has the ability to will, you yeah. know. Well, I was up there two weeks ago with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Shelly Morton ah, and Shelley, Debbie yeah. Peterson. And, you know, it was incredible to see this cheese win after having spent two days with um, the Keeler family and the whole staff at Jasper Hill. It just, you know, it really makes that impact all that much more. Um, I think they worked really hard on, I think their Bloomy Rind and, and Wash Rind. I think all their soft ripened stuff took a, 
a big step up for me. And, yeah. And not that it was ever bad. It's always been great, but it went to another level. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I really loved um, – yeah, like, when I was in that room judging, I was like – I had eaten a lot of cheese at that point, you know. But well, I you went- know, I figured out on the sec, or I guess it was the third day of judging because I had to judge cheese curds on Saturday. Yeah, they and put ta- you through the ringer. I was taking little nibbles of cheese, thinking yeah. that that was the best way to go. And by the time I hit uh, Tuesday morning, I figured out that if I was shoving like eight ounces of yeah. cheese in my mouth, that it was a lot easier to spit out. So I was, <laughs> I was judging fresh mozzarella, and at one point, I just took like an ovaline and just shoved the whole thing like in my apple. mouth and just like spit it right out exactly nice no I, I i went over you know when i was in that room i, I was a little cheesed out in the best to, to pick out the best of show and uh i just kept going over and eating that blue cheese i was like i was drawn to it like you know like it was you know like i, like I was i was possessed so. well and that's how they told us to judge too was yeah. you know forget forget everything you know as an aesthetic judge or a technical judge just judge what you like which i think is a nice way to kind of go about doing it after you spend two days with these forms that you're filling out and you're trying to be positive or you're trying to look for for flaws and then to just go in and be able to try stuff and decide what wins based on what you like was a really nice way to sort of wrap it up huge international presence i too i talked to people from from mumbai i talked to people from uh you know from new zealand i talked to you know from france england there's a lot there's just a lot of good folks and a lot of good vibes well and so. i think that american cheese is starting to generate a little more energy and a little more interest and i think especially for europeans you know they're realizing that the american cheese business is getting bigger and that people are more interested in it and that the cheeses are getting better and yeah. that um you know, they got to start watching out in Europe because... Uh, We're cause, coming for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Rachel, I want to say thanks so much for coming on. You know, it's always nice to see you. It was good to hang out with you. And uh, it was good to see everybody that I saw out there in um, lovely Providence, Rhode Island. It was, oh, it was nice great to be in New England. Yeah. So, we're going to shut her down here for another day on Cutting the Curd. And uh, thanks a lot for being with us. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.